and welcome to Super Boothers. I am Ghislaine Maxwell's public relations assistant, Ryan Salinas. Yeah, and I want no part of that. I'm Ismail. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be watching the the little security cam. Did you hear that they uh, turned off her uh, prison camera to give her privacy? Oh, no, I didn't see that, but I'm sure. I, I was like, um, privacy for what? <laughs> Someone's going to hang her. Wouldn't it be too obvious if anything happened there? Like... Oh, are you kidding me? It would be ridiculously obvious. So I, I feel like that makes it less likely that it would happen. But what do I know? I don't really follow anyway, these things that closely. I have nothing else better to do. <laughs> I'm sure many people agree with you. No, I I, I, I have had no choice but to I, – I travel a lot. Um, you traveled. I- traveled. No, I do travel a lot. Sometimes I go out to the balcony. Sometimes I go to the kitchen. Every now and then I'll go downstairs to take out the trash. I'm super excited about that. I get to do that today. <laughs> I caught that. I caught that a little late. You did. Um, <laughs> Dale News. <laughs> uh, Ismail would like to cancel his subscription. He's going to be giving his business to Behind the Times. <laughs> wow. Is this, a, is this is this how we're starting this one? Is this how it's going to go? Should I uh, just give you the floor? You know, I, always, I, back? I always get a, I always get a kick out of this. How like there? I don't know who it was, but there was this one event that we went to. Were we in Australia or was it in Vegas? I don't recall. I don't, or was it in Dallas? I don't remember. But someone came up to us and was like, he goes, he looks at me dead in the eye, and he goes, "Why are you so mean to Ismail?" <laughs> But this is the thing, and I've said this before. There has been, and I've posted this in the group. However, there is an article that came out that was like, your meanest friend really wants the best for you. Like, whenever you posted your little PB&Y thing, your like little thank you wrap up, whatever, la, 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 everyone's like, you did such a great job. This is fantastic. This was amazing. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I have some notes. Oh, yeah. I still got to get those. <laughs> But the, but this is but this is the thing is I am not that friend. Yes, you did a great job. It was absolutely fantastic. Let's talk about how we can make it better for next year. Like after every event, I don't remember when the last one was, but after every event, I generally, if like all my staff and I are in a car or we're driving back or whatever, we'll have the conversation. Okay, what went right and what went wrong? What would we do different? Is there anything that we need to order? How can we make this better? That literally should always just kind of be like on the forefront of the conversation because otherwise, you know, you're just sitting around going, no, you're fabulous. No, you're fabulous. No, we're amazing. No, uh, we're just, I don't know how anyone can do better than us. Like that just isn't helpful. Well, I, I totally agree that I think top performers generally look to improve. Like, there's a there's a place to have a little bit of, after all the hard work of whatever you did, um, it's okay to have a little bit of celebration, right? Enjoy it, take a break. But I totally agree with you that the best people generally always try to look for improvement, how to get better. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been happy. I mean, that's a like, problem. I, well, no, like, no, like, if I'm happy, where does that leave me to go? This is this is like getting into personal because I talk about this all the time with my friends, where I feel it's like a curse where. You're not that easily happy because you know you can always do better, um, yes. which is why you continue to do better and why you continue to be successful. But it makes it harder to be happy because you always have a moving bar. Does that make sense? It's like a catch-22 where some people are just happy doing nothing. 
But some people, they just want to keep getting better and getting better and they're never fully content. And it may not be good for your mental health or happiness. Well, and I think that that is almost going to kind of be what the ongoing theme of this little episode is. But, you know, uh, there was uh, an interview and this was also in her book, uh, Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. I don't know if you've read it. Um, She did an interview and she was saying how, like, there are so many amazing things that happen every single day to me. And she was saying how, like, at the end of the week, you know, someone would remind her of something. And she, when was that? That was Monday. You know, like, my life previously was very fast paced. There were a lot of cool things happening all of the time every single day. And what I've had a hard time doing is, and I briefly talked about this before in another episode, I think. However, I have had to learn to enjoy the moments while they are happening. And I think that that's what this little, you know, couple month pause has really taught me a little bit more is, you know, you kind of need to be grateful for things while they're happening because now we look back on memories of all the cool things that we did and be like, gosh, it'd be really cool to do that again. Um, do, I mean, do you, do you agree with that? Yeah. Generally I feel like in the last, I don't know how many years, but there's been a shift. Like when I was growing up, you really enjoyed the moments, but at some point with the mobile phones and the social media applications, you started going out and going to places. And like when I was, whenever I was having the most fun, like laughing and with your friends, I would look around and I would just see people with their phones at recording and it it creates this like barrier between them and the experience. I understand that you want to document, like even back in the day, we took photos to have mementos, but this is something even like performers and celebrities talk about where everyone's just got their phones up recording the performance. They're not really enjoying the performance. Why are you there? You can just watch it online. So I do agree with you. Um, I've been around you a lot where I've seen um, you, you fall victim to not being enjoying the moment. Um, so we haven't seen each other in a while, but I, I started to see hints of that changing. So I hope that's continued in the pandemic because I think it's I think it's important. I think it's too easy to just not be present, and it, it, I don't know. It's just harder to be happy if you're always um, documenting or not there. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I actually had this conversation with one of my friends. Funny enough, last year at my birthday party in New York, um, which seems like forever ago. Um, oh my god, that was a year I, ago. That was so. That was so, that was probably the best birthday. You should come to New York now and see what it looks like. It's not like it used to be. <laughs> well, it looks like Paris fifty years ago. Um, no, I think that I have had. Um, I, I I identify myself as a photographer. Like that's literally like whenever I was younger, I always had a camera in my hand. I have always been documenting. There are plenty of photos of my family whenever I was younger. There are very few photos of me because I was always the one taking the photos. Um, And I think at a point in time, I realized that this is probably not a good idea. And that's why I'm always like in photos now is because I don't have any of that record previously Mm, that's probably a common issue with photographer people yeah yeah so i i've talked about this before if you don't have it just get masterclass it's on masterclass.com i might have a promo code somewhere i can look that up 
in a moment and see if that's possible. However, I did um, the Annie Leibovitz ma- masterclass. Annie Leibovitz and Dick Avedon and maybe a couple of others, but those two are the really like two photographers that I can say that like, these are my favorite photographers. Um, Dick Avedon did uh, photos for Vogue back in the day when uh, Deanna Vreeland was editor in chief and just the photos that he took back then still hold up today. And I think that there's something to be said for that. Same thing with Annie Leibovitz. Um, but anyways, but in Annie Leibovitz's masterclass, she was saying how, you know, people come up to her and they ask her, well, what camera do you use? What light do you use? What that she's like, shouldn't you worry about taking a good photo first? Like, and this, this is the same thing. Whenever people ask me like, Oh, what about podcasting? It doesn't matter what the hell mic you're using, talking to a microphone. People listen to whoever is creating this content. You're listening to me now. Because who else is putting stuff out there right now? No one. I'm your only choice. I ha- I'm, I live inside your head. No. <laughs> well, I think that's common advice. Wasn't it even Steve Martin um, that said? You probably know better what he said, but it's like, yeah, absolutely. He goes, well, he goes. You know, what agent should I have? What headshots should I have? Your first job is to be good. Yep. That is your first job. But this is a common issue everywhere. Even in our industry, even in any industry, like what camera should I use? What booth should I use? What software should I use? How should I structure my email? How should my contract look? Right? Everyone's stuck on the particulars. Uh, but back to what Leibovitz said, take a good photo. Right? It doesn't really, like you can do it with different kind of cameras. It doesn't really matter what camera it is. You just got to take a good photo, for example. Yeah. Like I think that, you know, I've really learned from, read a book, do something like, and there is, there is two sides of this aisle. And granted, I haven't listened to all of the, the videos from PBNY yet. Um, However, there, there was a thing that was like, if you're not being productive during this quarantine time, like there's something like wrong with you. Like you didn't have a time problem. You have a me problem. I don't necessarily agree with that because I have a lot of friends that are like struggling to survive so you have, uh, you know, this half the segment that's just getting a lot of work done and being super productive and creating things. And that's great. And then you have the other half that are just stagnant, that can't get out of bed, that are sleeping all day. I- I've done this. Everyone goes through this. This is normal. This is fine. If your body is like, if you're sleeping, your body's telling you that you need to sleep. You know, I think that whenever, you know, someone uh, there was a psychologist that did a thing that was like if you're just like struggling right now and surviving that's fine because what we're going through right now is actual mental trauma there's a lot going on in media there's a lot going on with fear there's a lot going on inside our head there's so much uncertainty with you know our jobs are we ever going to work again you know what is going to happen here you know i'm not smart enough i don't know how to pivot whatever and the, you know you get stuck in a bubble you go in a closet and you close the door you know, I, I get it. These things are normal. Um, yeah, I think in, in the financial circles, they're kind of referring to this time as a potential greater depression. Like, And, and if you think about the Great Depression in, in history, I don't remember people talking about how productive they were. Like you said, people are worried about surviving and they're not, they lost their income. How do they get to the next month or next week? So you're right. But I, I would also add to that, that I find 
I, I, and I've told you this before, I kick myself whenever I feel like I can be more productive. I just can't help it, but I kick myself and I like, I get down on myself because I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm better than this. I should be doing more. But what I do find after a while is that a lot of my best ideas and best breakthroughs come when I'm unproductive. So whatever that may mean to you, uh, whenever I'm unproductive, I find somehow I get the biggest ideas. And we talked about some ideas before getting on this. Like it, That's when they come to me for whatever reason. I think allowing your mind that break allows those things to start coming in. So I don't know. You shouldn't feel that guilty, even though I'm guilty of doing that myself. No, that's the same thing. It's my process. Like there are times where like, you know, if I'm about to work on, I don't know, whatever project, I'll just think about it, you know, go out to dinner, go to museum, watch a couple of movies. And then one day it just comes to you and then it all makes sense. Like, and that's fine. That's literally how like the process of art works. Like, that's literally like the function of art, you know, is to comment on whatever it is we're seeing, you know, in real life or whatever. I think that the same thing happens whenever we create like little like photo things. So creativity comes from constraint. Whenever a client says, I want this, you have to give me these parameters or you have to give me these parameters to work within. Okay, fine. Like, I'm, I actually think I work best like that. I want you to give me feedback. I want you to tell me if you like it, if you don't like it, if whatever. Because the way how people th – this is how I used to act is – well, kind of still do a little bit, but whatever. Um, <laughs> is you know a client says, hey, I want this. And then you work on it and you play with it and then you give them what you think is your best work. And they're like, no, I don't like it. And then you go tweak it some more. Whenever you stop, start treating it as a creative process and not, well, this person's a, you know, a, a Karen. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, that should be you your know, intro for the next episode. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, you know, this person, cause I wanted to say something else, but I couldn't, uh, you know, this person's a Karen and they're just never going to be happy. Well, once you take that and remove that and turn it into a creative process, then it becomes fun. Then you have the ability to, you know, do some other things. So the same thing is coming out with virtual photo booths. I cannot tell you. I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook anymore. Um, however, when I do click on it, I'm just like, this is such a toxic environment. Why am I here? Um, but I'll look and I'll see people just, you know – poo-poo all over virtual photo booths. I was like, y'all are stupid. <laughs> like, there's a lot of money to be made here. Like, Ryan says, y'all are stupid, and then he X's out and leaves. <laughs> yeah, y'all are stupid, click. No, I I think that... So I will say this. Oh, Go ahead. Yes, no, continue. I was going to say, because... Because you're teeing me up for this. <laughs> I'm, I'm teeing you up for it. I, I've been getting messages from people uh, particularly after PBNY, like asking me for my personal opinion on the potential of virtual booths. Is it worthwhile? So I'm curious to hear from you generally, and I'm hope I'm teeing you up. How do you feel about the prospects for virtual booths? It sounds like you're, you're optimistic about it. So I'm going to start it out this way. So I have always been an early adopter of, I don't know, anything. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Even like TikTok or ring light, uh, uh, the roamers, everything. Yeah. Everything. I think that I, no joke, whenever the first iPhone came out, 
I was in Austin and I was at the domain and there was a huge line to get into the Apple store. And, you know, I think it opened up in the afternoon at some point, like at five o'clock or something like that. Everyone rushes into the store and they're going to play with the phone. I walk in and I go to the guy and I say, how do I buy one? And the guy didn't know because he was like, well, we haven't figured that out. And he goes, oh, go over here. I walk right up to the counter. I'd say, I'd like one iPhone, please. (laughs) He's like, do you want to try it? I'm like, no. He goes, okay, pay for the iPhone. Forgot how much it was. I know it was a lot. Um, Get the iPhone. I walk outside and I start playing with it. It didn't matter what it was going to be. I, funny enough, I did two things. So I'm back out in Vegas again. For those that don't know, uh, I I quarantined in Texas for a little bit and then came back out here uh, at the beginning of June whenever the state kind of opened back up again. And I hope it stays open a little bit, maybe. I don't know. Um, but anyways, so during quarantine, I bought a new car. And I did a lot of research and I went and I walked up to the guy and I said, I would like, I saw that you have this car in stock online. These are the things that I want. This is a color. Do you have it? And he goes, yeah. He's like, do you want to test drive it? I said, no. And just signed the paperwork and then got the keys. And it was like, I got a brand new car and it was a surprise. Like, <laughs> Wait a second. You don't negotiate. Oh, absolutely. I did all of that, but I didn't like test drive the car or anything. Yeah. Same thing with my apartment. I was like, oh, this is the one I want, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to see it? No, just sign the thing. I don't care. Like, I've always just been an early adopter of stuff. Is that because you put the research in beforehand? Like, not a lot of people just buy apartments. No. Well, yeah, I've I've done educated research. And granted, getting an apartment out in Vegas is different than getting an apartment in New York. There's more consistency in Mm -hmm. So there, it's not like a one-off whatever. Like this is Vegas is just like one company owns like, you know, 20 complexes or whatever. All right. So you're an early adopter of virtual booths too. Let's bring it back yeah. to the virtual booth. Well, no, but this but this is but this is what it goes down to is it's the consistency of I was one of the first people to do iPad booths. I didn't care what anyone thought. I didn't care what anyone said. I remember getting a lot of pushback from a couple of individuals that I will name later in the DMS in the DMS. And, and if I hear about the quality one more time, I'm going to snap because I don't care. The client doesn't care. The second you recognize that you're in your own head about this stuff, the better off you'll be. So, I did roaming booths. No one knew what the hell it was. So then it's up to me to start educating a market. So then I have to figure out how do I educate this market into what it is that I'm selling. So that's whenever I started to do the videos and the videos did amazing things for me. The same thing is happening with virtual photo booths right now. People are in their heads so much. Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Who cares? Throw it up on a website and start selling. I, I'm sorry. Do you want to work or not? I mean, come on. I guess then I, I agree with you. But then the problem becomes that a lot of people are throwing it up and undercharging and taking it away from people that are trying to charge more. That's what I've run into. This is also true. However, the consumer that you're going to get, granted, this thing is I'm not going to charge. There's a there's a birthday party that came to me 
And she wanted, it was for 12 people in a Zoom call. I'm not going to charge her 1200 bucks. You know, I want her to at least try it because who knows what company event that she's going to attend. Hey, I use this guy. So I gave her a good rate. I get to test it out. Whatever. We're good. Uh, I have a very good chunk of proposals out right now that hopefully will close this week. Uh, and whenever they do close, everyone will know about it. Believe me. <laughs> Ryan will return to Facebook when that happens. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, just, just because there is, I have been implementing kind of a process on how I'm doing this and whenever I can do my proof of concept, I will tell you how I'm doing it. I look forward to hearing that, but it sounds like generally you're optimistic about the potential for virtual books. I think people are trying to get that sense. Like, is it even worth trying? Um, and, and again, a major issue that I've heard from people as well is that they're trying, they're selling it, but then they get undercut by people charging like a fraction of what they're charging. So sure. what, do you, what do you do there? You yeah. Well, they're going to recognize very quickly that they're going to be screwing up because with virtual photo booths, whenever you're doing the AI background removal, you're paying like 25 cents to do that. I mean, these, this stuff isn't cheap. So everyone needs to be charging accordingly, but like, for example, if you Google, if you Google, oh God, if you Google virtual photo booth, urban events pops up on page one organically. Nice. I think I did yeah. see that. Yes. Along with the other couple other names I recognize. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone should be doing this. And if you're not doing it, you know, I'm sorry, but this is just kind of how it works. So put it out there, explore the, I, did I tell you about whenever I did Super Bowl with the with the what's that thing called? Oh my god, I haven't done it in so long. I forgot I what it's called. I, I think we talked the about the yeah, we talked about it on the show a while back. Yeah, I I got I bought all of my equipment three days before the Super Bowl. Like I learned all that stuff in forty eight hours. I didn't have an opportunity to. Oh, should I sell it? Should I no? Go do it. But I mean, the, the thing is that you sold it already, right? So people are having a trouble selling or knowing how to sell or position this virtual software. And I, I guess my take on this is that, first of all, I'm not good at spotting trends. Like I missed the whole ring, the roaming booth. I didn't see that coming personally. You're still in cargo pants. I mean, let's be honest. I got no cargo pants. I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, I don't see, I didn't see that coming. At first, I didn't really get the virtual booth. But a lot of people I really respected, admire like my fellow co-host here and other people that are big in the industry seem to really think there's really something big there. Um, and I, I see potential in certain use cases, like very significant potential. So I don't know if I'm a believer in the little social events, like the little birthday parties or whatever, becoming a big uh, revenue source for virtual services. But I think there are use cases where it makes a lot of sense. So a lot of people much smarter than me think there's potential um, and that's enough for me to think that there's something there. You know, I have a proposal out for 60,000 people right now. I mean, there are just infinite uses for this. You know, I think that there are a lot of, well, and actually I've had, so there's someone else that I've talked to that has pitched it to a lot of big brands and a lot of them aren't getting it. Um, so my advice is give it away. If there is some virtual event that's happening that you know about, just do it just to get it under your belt, just to get the content. Hey, here's what we did. Um, my team and I are producing a video this week of 
what a virtual booth does because I have to educate a market about it now. You know, not a lot of people recognize what the benefit of a virtual background would be. You know, I think that it's consistency. I think that if you have a conference that's going virtual, you have the ability to deploy a, a, a marketing tool because that's what it really is. It's not really a photo tool. You have the ability to deploy this marketing tool with a brand that's sponsoring their logo saying, hey, everyone take your profile picture for this virtual conference so that everyone has the same one. That way everyone is not stuck using, you know, their stupid little headshot from 15 years ago that they don't even look like anymore, you know, before kids. What are you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying people let themselves go. I, I will say that the first speaker at the PBNY virtual conference is Nicholas Rhodes, and he did a segment on green screens. And I was really surprised at how many people like left the session to take a virtual photo. Like a lot of people did it again. This might be skewed because there's a photo booth audience, but I thought people wouldn't use the software as much. And I was really surprised that they did a lot. And I think in any new service or product, there's like this exploration phase right now. So you got to figure out how to sell it. These people that you're selling to have to figure out and understand what they get out of it. And they have to pitch it to their committees and get approvals and budgets are tight. And it's an exploration phase. But once that's done, who's going to be in position to capitalize? It sounds like Ryan, for example, who's up in the rankings and already has been putting the work in and has the videos to show it and has been pitching it would benefit from that. Everyone else is going to be late to the party. So if you see potential in it, it's probably worth doing it now. Tardy for the party. I'm just saying that, you know what, if you, because I mean, now that everything's probably going to shut down again, Jesus, well, depending on which state you're in, um, sorry, states, uh, but the, like if, you know, you're going to have all the normal back to school stuff that you're not normally going to have, or that probably won't happen you know, hopefully you can switch to a virtual option. You can still reach out to those clients. You can still at least get some revenue for some stuff. You know, I think that you're going to have a lot of people, the people that see the value in this will buy it pretty quickly. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. I think also because a lot of events just are not happening. So some of them are going virtual, but like movie premieres and all these things that would have happened just aren't happening. So there's a less inventory of events to pitch virtual services to only a fraction of them are still happening or, or pivoting to virtual. So it's a tight market and there's probably more people pitching for it than it, it just, it's kind of morphing if that makes any sense. I don't know if I got that point across clearly enough. Well, probably not. Um, but you know, you have a lot of people that are doing hybrid events where you know, 25% of the event is happening in person and then the other 75% is happening online. There are still opportunities to be had and you need to be able to sell it to these brands so that they can probably sell it to, you know, their sponsors, whoever are doing these conferences, whatever. And I'm just using that as an example. I mean, See, there's other use cases. That, I think that has a lot of legs going forward, like the hybrid. And if that's true, so based on my experience running a conference, I see no reason not to do hybrid. Like I think everyone's going to do hybrid, uh, virtual and in person. And if that's the case, 
then there is a lasting market for virtual booths and virtual services because there's always going to be these hybrid events. Even if things open up, now there's a new component. So if you're looking at this opportunistically, um, in the long run, the market may be expanding because now we have all these in-person events that we're accustomed to, but now they have another layer, another upsell, another service that we can offer where they're, most of them are going to be doing a virtual component too. So it can be a positive uh, thing if you look at it that way. Yeah. So anyways, to recap, start selling. Never, never stop selling. How about that? Well, sure. I don't I don't know. There was uh, some article that I read about this photographer that is like booking 2021 stuff and he's still, you know, making 10 grand a month. I mean, it's not a lot, but you know, it's enough to live off of. I mean, you can pay bills with 10 grand. Yeah, it, it, this is all like to the mental state of people. And, and you got to be careful what you say because some people are just not in a good place right now. But I think with unemployment and like people people are being taken care of right now. And a lot of times people don't feel the need to hustle as hard in that scenario. So they're kind of taking a seat back right now and they don't feel motivated. Hey, I'm getting unemployment. I'm getting everything's taken care of. I think once you get closer to the end of those types of programs, people are going to really start kicking it into high gear. We haven't seen that level of hustle yet, I think. Well, so this is kind of what's happening is the way how I felt during all this is the way I felt in 2008. The only difference in 2008, there was – it was – Still events. Well, no, well, no, well, yes, there were still events. However, it was one big you know, stock market crash. You woke up one day – you know, all hell in a handbasket versus what's happening now has happened slowly over time, gotten worse, gotten worse, gotten better, gotten better, gotten better, gotten worse, and then got worse. So that's the only difference is like the uncertainty. However, I looked at uh, a graphic yesterday about unemployment and how the unemployment rate in 2008 versus the unemployment rate now versus the unemployment rate in January. And Pretty much what happened was it took 10 years for us to recover from 2008 crash to get to unemployment back to where it was before the crash. And that's kind of what's happening now, except it's worse. I mean, so I, I feel that the same thing will happen is if there are companies such as oil and gas. Well, actually, oil and gas kind of did get affected in this one. But traditionally, oil and gas doesn't get affected by kind of anything that happens just because people need to put gas in their cars to go around places. So those places became very uh, conscious of what they spent on events. And I think that's what's happening now is you have budgets that are being slashed because you don't have physical events. You don't have the donors that you used to. People are working harder to kind of make the same, if not less money. Um, so yeah, there's, there's just a lot of uncertainty now, but I do not think all hope is lost. I do think that there's still opportunities to kill it. And I think that people just kind of need to think of outside the box ways to present it to their clients. Yeah. I like that mentality that you have. And I agree with, with you. There's always opportunity, right? We're not in a zombie apocalypse. Like it's not the end of the world. There's still a society. There's still civilization. People need things. Um, things are still happening. So there's always going to be opportunity. You just have to allow yourself to see them. And, and when you do do something about them, and I also like how Ryan said, just try it, right? What's the downside? Throw it up there. Send an email out. I spoke to someone um, a couple of days ago, 
about the same thing, brainstorming ways of how this person can potentially generate revenue. And I, I just find that people have a lot of mental resistance. Well, that's not going to work. Nah, I don't know about that. Nah, maybe that nah, it won't work either. And I'm just like, dude, just write an email and send it out. And you'll find out very quickly if it has any potential or not, right? Don't, it's like a, back when I was in school, don't reject yourself. Like people wouldn't apply to certain colleges. Oh, I'll never get in. I'll, I'll apply to all the colleges. Let them reject me. I'm not rejecting myself. And I think a lot of people right now are rejecting themselves and not even giving themselves a chance. Send the email out, put it up there and let people tell you whether you have potential with that idea or not. Don't kill it before it has a chance.